Well, good morning, Sunders. How are you doing today? Oh, that's not good enough. You guys doing okay today? All right. Well, that, that's not really it. That's okay. I'm so glad that you guys are with us. My name is Jed. It is an absolute privilege and honor to get to serve as one of our pastors on staff. And this morning, we are welcoming in the summer with a new series every year for the duration of summer. We try and stick to a certain series. Sometimes we have t-shirts this year. We don't have them, but we've got a great series in store for you. This one is called I Promise. And over the course of the next eight weeks, we are going to be looking at the promises of God and His faithfulness to keep them. Now, I don't know if you guys can tell, there's something a little bit different going on stage today because I am not Danny Sugimoto. And if you look at your note sheets, your note sheets should, should say Danny Sugimoto. So here's the deal. Britt is out in Hawaii enjoying vacation with his family as he ought to. I'm really excited that they're all out there together. I am supposed to be on a seven-hour car ride up to Stockton for our houseboats trip with our young adults because uh, I'll be teaching there this week. Uh, but Danny came down with a gnarly stomach bug yesterday, and so last night um, he let me know that he wasn't going to be able to make it. I knew all day he was trying to make it, but he, he really could not, so you could be praying for Danny. He is on the mend, and so this is how it's going to work, my friends. I'm going to jut off this stage after this is over. I'm going to escape through the side door, get in the car with a handful of sweet people that stayed behind, and I'm going to make that trek up there, and, and maybe I'll make that first message tonight, but if not, they will be okay. So, how is this going to work? I had two thoughts about how I could approach this weekend on such short notice. Number one, I could actually get some practice for houseboats, and I could give you my opening message for houseboats, because we are actually doing a series up there. Our theme is called The Land, and I'm going to be talking about the promised land all week and how really God's promise isn't about the land, but the focus is displaced there, and it ought to be about journeying with God, and it culminates in the person of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to be studying that this week with our young adults. So I thought I could do that this morning. But then when I got in last night, I, I read through Danny's a note sheet and his manuscript. And I thought, you know, what better thing to do than to honor all the, the hard work and the time that Danny put into this message and not just honor him and honor our church, but to honor God and the message that God gave him, than for me to, to just read that to you. And so it's going to look a little bit different today, those of you that have been here, because I've got one of these. And uh, during first service, it was my first time teaching off a manuscript, and it went not too terrible. So hopefully now that I've read through this one time, uh, God will just speak to you through this. So I'm going to read... Danny's message, again, Danny, our middle school pastor, I'm going to read this to you, and then at the conclusion of this, I'm going to share just a quick few stories, and then some scripture, put a bow on it, and I'll be on my merry way. You guys good with that? All right, here we go. Yeah, you can clap for that. All right. To the church at Sunridge, grace and peace to you from our Lord Jesus Christ, who is called, I'm just kidding, I, I decided to... <laughs> Gotcha there. That's not how Danny started this message. He talks about how his name is Danny. He's our middle school pastor, and, and he talks about this series. So here's his next paragraph. He says, whether we recognize it or not, 
our world revolves around promises. If you get married, you're promising to love your spouse for as long as you both shall live. If you get a driver's license, you're promising to obey all of the traffic laws and trusting that others will do the same. And if you go through the in-and-out drive-through, there's a promise that once you pay them, you'll actually receive your food. We live in a world that is saturated by promises. And I need to be honest. Prepping this message was one of the most difficult things I've had to do recently. Not because I don't enjoy teaching or because I don't understand promises, but because at every turn, it felt like there was something blocking my path. Just this past week, as you heard and saw in the recap video, we held the week, which is our annual VBS program. And for the last several months, a majority of our energy as a ministry team has been directed at making sure these five days allowed for students to have fun make new friends and memories, but most importantly, we wanted to ensure that they heard about Jesus. And so on Wednesday, when I took time to formalize my thoughts and work on the note sheets for this week, and I dropped Theo off with some friends so that I could have a few hours to work and prepare, and while I was driving to a coffee shop after dropping Theo off, I noticed that my car was overheating. Not to be one that's unprepared for most situations, I pulled off into a parking lot and added coolant to my car, but I noticed that my coolant level was at max. So I jump back in my car and I drive a few blocks over to Starbucks and the whole time my car gauge is fluctuating between, oh my gosh, pull over and hey, I'm really warm over here. I eventually get to Starbucks and I'm thinking, I need to work real fast. So I can get back in my car and get to my son before my car overheats and we're stuck here. And that thought would not leave my brain. I couldn't shake it. I couldn't move past it. It was just there, standing in front of me like a bodyguard in a B-level action movie. And then Thursday rolls around and I get to the office. I submit my note sheet. I get all my things done for the week and I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to crush it tomorrow. But then comes Friday. I felt awful. You ever have one of those days when you wake up and something is off? Not like something physical, like a hurt foot, a mysterious bruise on your forearm, but something deeper, like part of your soul has been bruised. Like no matter how you try, you simply cannot fathom the effort it takes to make it down your own stairs. Like regardless of how many people speak encouragement into your day, you simply wonder, when is it going to be over? That's how I felt on Friday. I felt heavy. I felt broken. I felt bruised. I felt like throwing in the towel. And then it was Saturday, and somehow my physical body caught up with the way my brain was feeling. I woke up with the aches and the feeling of never being quite warm enough, and a weird stomach bug took over my body and left me cowering in my room, dreaming up a plan based around the question of, what if I'm not better tomorrow? What if I can't make it? What if this was all in vain? You know, that's how I imagine Abraham felt with every year that passed by. As the streaks of every second flew past him in a blur, and as he and his wife both continued to age, I imagine he wondered softly to his wife in the safety of their bed where married couples share the things that mean the most to them. Didn't Yahweh make a promise? 
We don't have to wonder if David felt the same way. Read through the Psalms, you can see very quickly that he was willing to speak his greatest fears into poetry. And I imagine as Jeremiah received God's words of prophecy of the new reality to speak to the nation, I will write my laws in their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. And then the city is captured and these Hebrews are moved from their home country, forced to march mile after mile into some unknown territory, some unknown city, some unknown language. And the last of the prophets is given this final word, the day of the Lord is coming. God will stay true to that promise. But then our screens go dark. And there's nothing that speaks of God's movement. And there are all these questions of what have we done We've given everything to this God. That's how I felt on Friday. That's how I felt on Saturday. But that's not how I feel on Sunday. Because God made a promise. See, in the early chapters of Genesis, we witness God form a unique relationship with a man named Abram and his wife Sarai. This couple is growing exceedingly old, and they do not have a son. They do not have anyone to carry on their line. And God sees Abram and picks him out, saying to him, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And right here, God makes a covenant with Abram, and here's your first fill in the blank. Blank promises are part of covenants. And these covenants are more than just mere promises. They actually contain two other elements. Number one, parties. These are the people who mediate and are directly involved in the covenant. And then there are terms. These are the actions and attitudes that must occur. And finally, promises. These are the things that will come about if one is able to keep the covenant. And if you read back through God's covenant with Abram, you might notice that we certainly have parties, God and Abram. We have some terms, go from your country to the land that I will show you, and we definitely have a promise. Again, I will make you a great nation, I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. You know, on the surface, this might feel or even look like a standard contract, a way that a group of people agree on how to best move forward regarding a situation. But one of the things that we miss out on as a contemporary audience is the culture that Abram lived in. One of the things that scholars have obviously understood is that Abram's culture was a lot different from ours. And one of the key ways that this culture is different was in the way that they elevated both honor and shame. In every action, behavior, and thought, there was a common conviction of making sure that whatever course of action you chose did not dishonor your family. And you can imagine, this puts a lot of pressure in how a person chooses to live, the types of friendships they enter into, the method of making a living that they choose. Not only that, there was significant emphasis on honor and shame, and that meant that covenants were a really big deal especially when we learn that these types of agreements rarely occur to people at similar places or situations of life. And that means that these covenants are, next fill in the blank, based around mutual obligation, based around, keyword mutual obligation. 
And in an honor and shame culture, you can't be known as the person who repeatedly allows people to access your resources even when they can't keep up their end of the bargain. And as a person on the receiving end of a covenant, you don't want to do anything that would bring shame upon you or your household. And what makes covenants even more interesting is that the ones we have recorded for us in Scripture were rarely set in motion amongst common friends with common amounts of wealth. No, they were established people, people with significant amounts of power and authority, covenanting with people who were disenfranchised, the outcast, the lesser. God extends a covenant to an old man with no children. He extends a covenant to Moses who had issues speaking and was directly responsible for the death of an Egyptian. God extended a covenant to David, king of Israel, though considered to be a man after God's own heart, demonstrated so much brokenness and so much sin. God extended a promise to a nation of slaves who repeatedly broke the terms of this covenant, who rejected the God who had saved them, who worshipped idols and locked away the sacred scriptures to teach them how to have a relationship with the living God. And the truth is, there might be moments where we wonder what it's like if we were to wander off. There might be moments where we question whether God actually made us a promise or whether it was a fever dream. One of the craziest things about God's promises is that covenants take time and faith. It's your next fill in the blank. You see, it's rare for God to make a promise that actually receives immediate fulfillment. It's rare for the recipient to receive the things that they have hoped for by the end of their prayer. Instead, the things that God promises through covenants often take a long, long time. In Jeremiah 31, God promised that eventually the people of Israel would be released from exile and be allowed to return to their homeland. That took 70 years. When God promised Abraham that his family would be as numerous as the stars, that took a long time to develop. Sure, Abraham and Sarah had their son Isaac, which is an own matter of its fulfillment, but to see if God's covenant would actually come true, that would need to go well beyond the lifetime of Abraham. Because the promises of God's covenant can take so long to manifest, that means then that we have to be people who cling to them with immense faith. We have to learn to celebrate the idea that we are among those chosen by God, that any person who accepts Jesus into their heart is a new member of a new family and heir to the promises found in God. And great promises take great faith. And we strengthen our faith by returning to the scriptures over and over and over and seeing all the ways that God has remained faithful to his people and faithful to his word. So as we read scripture and the promises it contains, another thing we learn is that God makes promises even when we are not worthy. We've already touched on it, but the Hebrew people within the stories and history of the Old Testament did a great job of following and trusting God, but they also did a great job of allowing themselves to forget, to release from the safety of their faith in God and choose to attempt to do it all on their own. And when you watch the narrative of the people of Israel, you witness this cycle of them following God, forgetting, doing things on their own, getting into trouble, and crying out for God to rescue them over and over. The cycle repeats to the point where you start to ask yourself, at what point does God give up? 
When does it end? But it doesn't. You see, as often as the people of Israel choose to try and make it their own, God is there to remind them of His promise to deliver them from their dilemmas. God is there to forgive and to rescue and to save them. And their story is often our story. We live in a culture where more things are being thrown at us than ever, where screens and technology and temptations run our lives because we have access to anything at seemingly any time. And this overwhelming ability to learn anything or go anywhere by calling an Uber or Lyft can lead us down paths with endings much like the story of Israel, where we look around and come to realize just how far off base we have moved, or where it takes someone speaking a loving but forceful word to get us to come back to our senses. Yet God extends these promises anyway, even when we feel broken. Even when we feel like our question outweighs our commitment. Even when we feel like taking our little mustard seed of faith and going home. When we feel unworthy. God reminds us that we are not the ones who get to make such a designation. And that when we dwell in Christ, we are considered God's sons and his daughters. Here's our final point of this message. God always keeps a promise. It's said that the ancient Hebrew people connected the ideas of truth and faithfulness. If a person were able to maintain the things that they promised, they were allowed to be described as a person who is true. And when it comes to making covenants and bestowing the benefits that are promised, here's the best news of all. God is 100% faithful. God is 100% true. Now, we might have to wait a while, but we will come to realize that God always keeps his word. When the last of the prophets spoke his word, reminding the people that God had promised to send one who would redeem and restore all the people. When those last words hit the page and the pages go blank between the Old and the New Testaments, we might think we have every reason to abandon hope, to abandon the covenant and the promises that come with it, but God continued to work in the lives of people. God continued to lean in and to reconcile all of creation back to himself. God worked tirelessly in developing and working out his plan that could not be thwarted by human hands or heart. God delivered to us Jesus, the hope of our salvation, the perfecter of our faith. And through Jesus, God revealed to the world the great lengths that he would go so that we could be reunited once again, so that we might be restored and redeemed. And that, my friends, that's a promise worth celebrating. That's a promise worth reminding yourself about when whenever you start to feel things slip from beneath you. And so we might feel awful on Thursday. We might feel like our bodies are failing us on Friday. We might be questioning all of the effort we have placed into trusting God and in living within this covenant that he has established for us. But we get to look to Sunday, the day where we come together and be reminded of the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, and the lengths that God would go through so that we might share in the promises of salvation and reconciliation. We look towards the day where we can be face to face with the one who's given us everything and reminded us that we are children of God, that's a promise worth celebrating. That's a life worth living. Words from Danny. Danny texted me 
yesterday afternoon telling me that he'd gotten the stomach bug, and I was pretty convinced that Danny was going to make it. I've known Danny for a long time, and he has never not just given his all to battlings through something, and so I just thought, you know what, Dee's going to be fine. Uh, I'll keep getting ready for this houseboats trip. I'll depart at 6.30 a.m. in the morning like I intend to. I'll arrive up there. Dee's going to crush this message. I'll do my message. Everything will be good, and Britt won't be freaking out in Hawaii. Well, 7 o'clock rolls around, and, and I'm out running some errands for houseboats, and Dee texts me. He's like, Jed, I'm so sorry. I, I'm still just, uh, I won't be able to go. And so I said, all right. Let's do it. When I, when I got here late last night and I started reading through Danny's manuscripts, I had one of those moments where you really remind that the thing is not the thing, right? You can't miss the forest for the trees. And it had been so easy for me in, in the moment of, of wondering how things were going to work out with our young adults on that trip and, and how Danny was feeling the weight and the burden of the physical sickness that that's not his fault and, and Britt being gone and knowing that I'd be teaching at houseboats and then coming back to teach here on this stage next week, I started to feel myself, you know, getting a little anxious. But I, I was here reading Danny's words and I couldn't help but think back to how I first met this wonderful young man. I was a 19-year-old RA, so a resident assistant. If you guys go to colleges or universities, they do this wild thing. It makes no sense where they let other young adults be in charge of other young adults. <laughs> so I was this 19-year-old kid, right, and I had two hallways of freshman students that I was supposed to help navigate their first year of college, and Danny was one of them. I can still remember the very first day that Danny Sugimoto showed up. He was wearing, I mean, just the tightest of tight jeans. He was wearing his band t-shirt. Uh, he looked everything like the stereotypical emo of the early 2000s. And I was chatting it up with his mom, Liz, and I was trying to be winsome and, and, you know, show that I had things together even though I had no idea what I was doing. And so I had this, I, I said this really dumb thing. I asked her in the phone, I said, Liz, or Miss Sugimoto, how are, how are you feeling with this transition, this move? you know, was your little boy moving all the way across down the state and, and not coming back home? And she looked at me, and she started bawling. <laughs> and she rushed outside of the room, and Danny, I mean, he looked over at me with like this death stare, like, what the heck, dude? And so I, I rush outside of the room, and uh, I try and just have a sweet ministry moment with her and, and apologize for what I said and pray with her, but I'm sure it was terrible. Um, but that all worked out, and, and over the course of that next year, I, I think that that initial impression that I gave Danny really colored how he looked at me as an RA. Uh, he didn't want to come to my events or anything like that, and so one day, uh, we are going to body paint at the girls' soccer game. And so I have several of my, several of my residents, and I'm like, we're going to go, and we're going to make sure every single person comes to this event. And so we take off our T-shirts, and we start or like painting up, and we bust in the Danny's room, and like, Danny, we're going to go to the soccer game, and we're going to body paint. And Danny again looks at me like, you are crazy. <laughs> and I wish I had time to pull up the picture, because we got Danny there, 
it's this great shot of us on the track at Cal State Fullerton, and there's a whole line of my residents and I, like, with our shirts off, feeling like we're all strong, and, and there's just Danny just at the edge, just kind of looking over like this, like with his head. <laughs> totally ashamed that he's with us, but man, what a sweet moment. That, <laughs> that day out on the track field, that really did alter the, the trajectory and the course of my relationship with Danny. He started showing up to stuff. I can remember him being at, like, our pig out event and helping us win the championship, and I soon found out that Danny was an incredible drummer. This kid didn't just listen to hardcore music and not have anything channeled through his body. He was this aggressive, amazing drummer. And so when my best friend Huey, he was the drummer in our band, went to spend six months in India and I had a vacant spot on our worship team, I thought, you know what? I'm going to see if this kid can play. Man, Danny could play. I remember my best friend Huey being all self-conscious, like he was going to get replaced in the band. And we actually made things work out. Danny became super instrumental to that team. And our relationship moved from this person that he really did not appreciate uh, to this person that he served alongside. And over the course of the last 11 years, Danny has really become a brother to me. When I think back to my relationship with Danny, I see him at different junctures in his life, and he shared some of them from the stage that parallel some of mine where we were in deep crises of faith, and we wondered whether or not we had been crazy to think that we could go into ministry, whether or not God was doing anything, whether or not God was even there at all. And so we kind of just experienced the turmoil of that uh, for the remainder of our college years. And not too long before college was finished, again, I was working at Friends Church in Yorba Linda. Uh, there was one day where we came off of the stage in our youth room, and, you know, there were all of the 250 or so kids just buzzing around. And for whatever reason, I turned to Danny, and I said, hey, D, I, I, I don't know what this means, but I want to make you a promise. I, I said, I promise I will take you as far as I can. And at the time when I shared those words with Danny, again, I was this naive, now 20-something-year-old, and in my mind, taking Danny as far as I could meant him really helping get me to a place where we were all leading worship together and, and touring and working on our album and all that ridiculous stuff. Um, but my immaturity slowly began uh, to get shaved off uh, through the grace and mercy of God. And in 2013, after I decided that i didn't want to be the worship pastor at French Church Orange, which is why I was there. They were preparing me to do that, and, and I had to have a really hard separation from my great friend and mentor, Jay Hewitt, who has spoken here before and is currently battling brain cancer. I, I eventually heard from a handful of churches, and, and Sunridge was one of them, and Dr. John Webb, who was a professor at school, and his son-in-law, Brian Purvis, and his daughter, Leslie, they were part of this community, and they said that they believed that God might have something for us out here, and, and I couldn't help, during the process of interviewing with Sunridge and falling in love with a place that I didn't know yet because of its mission statement to help people find and follow Jesus, I could not help but, but think about my promise to Danny. <laughs> I mean, what was I going to do? I made him a promise. And so I shared with the elders. I shared with Bob Santee, one of our pastors here. I shared with Brian and Leslie and Dr. Webb. I said, I don't know how this would work, but is there any way that I could take 
Danny with me. <laughs> and uh, he came. And he came and took a big leap of faith with us. Uh, there wasn't a position on staff yet. Uh, he came and lived with us and eventually took on uh, our youth associate role. And then a few years ago, he blossomed into our middle school pastor role. And now, every several months, you, our church, you get to hear from this young man who has continued to grow into Christ, who has continued to experience the goodness of God in the midst of doubt and skepticism and hurt and real life, someone whom I love and respect so, so much. And so when I thought about this morning and stepping in for Danny, I thought, you know what? This really isn't about D, and it's not about me. It's about the goodness and faithfulness of God. We wouldn't be here. We would not. We, we literally would not be here if it were not for the faithfulness of God. And I bet that statement right there, that we would not be here without the faithfulness, I bet I could put those words in your hands and you could hold them and you could share them just like I have. And some of us this morning, we're barely making it. Some of us this morning, we're thinking about this series about I promise, and then we're hearing about how it can take time and we sing these words where the promises aren't delayed. Really, there is, there's a long delay. Not every single word that we sing is exactly on point. But we feel the heartache of wondering whether or not God is going to show up, whether or not he's going to make good on his word. I mean, you guys do realize it's been over 2,000 years since Jesus ascended in the church, and every generation has been waiting and waiting and believing and trusting that he is not just coming back, but right here and right now he is doing and accomplishing his work to reconcile all things to himself. But we look around and it's really easy to question and wonder, is God actually doing something? Is he still good? Is he still faithful? And so I went to sleep last night thanking God for my brother Danny, and, and the time that we've had, and I said, you know what? God, I'm feeling really anxious about this, so I'm going to put this down. I'm going to go to sleep. I'm not going to shoot hoops like I normally do. I'm going to wake up, God, and I'm going to trust that if I'm teaching on the Holy Spirit next week, that Holy Spirit, you can certainly help me out this morning. And so I woke up this morning, and in first service, I, I didn't think went very well, but here I am. <laughs> And, and I, I, could, I, I couldn't help but get out a particular section of Scripture. It just, it just kept coming to me. And it comes from 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. It's not up on the screen. Some of you have heard this before. Peter writes, cast all your anxieties on him. Because he what? He cares. Cast all your anxieties on him. Because he cares for you. And I don't know what your circumstance is right now. I don't know if there is a recent medical diagnosis or something that you have been carrying physically for years. 
I don't know if there's an estranged family member or, or a friend who isn't quite a friend anymore. Maybe some hurtful words were spoken. Maybe some things were done that you, you, you know you want to forgive them for, but you, you just can't move past that. Maybe there is an in-law or a neighbor, a co-worker, a classmate. Maybe your finances are really just in disarray and you're feeling the burden of that. I don't know what your circumstance is, but here's my one, one encouragement to you. Cast it on him. Share it with him. It's so easy to say, oh, I've given that to God, I've given that to God. No, no, no. Have you allowed him to see you in the state of brokenness that he's given you the capacity to experience? Those heart palpitations, that fluttering in your stomach, that sweat on your brow, those tears, those moments where you can't get the words out, in all of those things, you do recognize that he, he built you with the capacity to be broken before him. And if we look at our scripture, I mean, remembering that Israel's name means he who wrestles with God, he who strives with God. It's in our heritage. It's in our history. We, all along, God's promise, his covenant has been to broken people in desperate need of him. And there is not one place in Scripture where it takes long before we see an individual at wit's end calling out to God. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I love what Peter writes next. Discipline yourselves. See, when you cast on God, when you bring something to God, when you say, you know what, God, I can't do this anymore, you know what happens? As soon as you decide to give God what is there, the enemy comes after you because you've exposed yourself. You're not just shielding yourself off anymore to cast all your anxiety on him before he, because he cares for you. Peter's very astute to write, discipline yourselves. Stay alert. Your enemy roars around like a prowling lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing steadfast in your face, for you know, this is key, for you know that all of your brothers and sisters throughout the world are undergoing the same types of trials. But after you've suffered for a little while, he himself, the one who called you in Christ Jesus, this God of all grace, he himself will restore strength and support and reestablish you. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. You catch what Peter's saying there? We're all going to have those Thursdays like Danny talked about and those Fridays and those Saturdays. And quite frankly, we might think Sunday's coming and still find ourselves in that position. But give it to him. So here's the odd way, but practical way, I believe, that would be best to close out this service. We're going to sit in our seats, and we're just going to let it be quiet. And for the next several moments, I'm going to ask you to begin to cast whatever it is that you have on him. Tell him. 
It'd be really easy to like, just, okay, when is this awkward time going to be over? But if you would, not for my sake, but for yours, if you would sit and begin to articulate to him what it is, I think we'll experience a powerful moment of the Holy Spirit here. So, I'm going to step back. I'm going to be quiet. And then I'll close this up.